chapter 18. Not going to be too long tonight. And, um, you know, this sermon that I want to share with you, this truth I want to share with you tonight isn't going to be uh, very eloquent. It's not going to be, you know, alliteration and uh, all that stuff that they teach us at Bible school. But really what it's going to be tonight is just me sharing something that I read in my Bible and did some studying on it, did a little research on it, and just kind of sharing a, sharing a truth with you tonight, uh, laying out a challenge, and really at the end of the, end of the service, uh, when we get to that final destination, you know, it'll be your, up to you whether to take that challenge or just to leave here tonight, but I hope that God will speak to you and uh, speak through us tonight. Let's pray, and then we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this night. Thank you for the opportunity to preach, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people, for your church. I pray that you speak through me tonight, Lord, in the short time that we have. I pray that you'd use me, Lord. We'll give you the honor and the glory for everything that's done. In your name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 18 is a familiar story. We're going to get there in a minute. But what I want to start tonight with, um, if, you ask our, or if you ask a preacher in our circle, your average preacher or a well-respected preacher at that, um, about our country, and you ask them about the state of our country or the direction that our country is going in, you know, for the most part, a preacher or a pastor is going to tell you, you know, we're not in good shape or the direction that we're going is not very good. And, you know, it's only a matter of time before the Lord returns. And, you know, we're a country that's allowed immorality and murder of innocent lives and blasphemy to God, just allowed to be part of our regular lives. You know, it amazes me some of the things, you know, that our kids are exposed to at such an early age and working in the bus ministry and even in general, hearing the things that come out of their mouth at such an early age, the things that they know and that they're exposed to. Think of the teenagers, your average teenager in America, who just jokes and jests and uh, makes fun of and, and jokes around about all the stuff that goes on in our country, whether it's the immorality or whether it's, it's the murder and all the evil things that go in our country just become a joke you know, to our average teenager. Think of uh, the regular adults, your average adults in America who have just become complacent and just unmotivated to do anything about the fact of where our country is going and the direction that it's going in. And as a 23, soon to be 24-year-old, 24, 24 uh, newly married, striving to be a preacher, I can't help but think about the future. I can't help but think about the future of, uh, of my family and my kids. I can't help but think about the future of, of our country. You know, is, is our country going to be even recognizable in 10 to 15 years down the road? Are the kids that, you know, we have someday, are they going to even recognize or be raised in the same kind of country that I was raised in only a short time ago? Is it, is it even going to be recognizable? Is it even going to be the same? I can't help but think about the future of the church. What are we doing about it? Are we uh, scared of the world and content just to live in that Baptist bubble and cross our fingers and hope, well, I hope, I hope, hope for the best. Who knows what's going to happen? Or are we going out there and shining a light and praying and doing something about it? But I can't help and think about the future. John R. Rice said a familiar, uh, familiar quote, familiar saying that we've heard pastors say before and we heard in Bible college all the time that all of our failures are prayer failures. All of our failures are prayer failures. And so I can't help but think as I think about our country and I think about the future, I think about the direction we're going, I think about the shape that we're in right now and what your average preacher would tell you about America and all the stuff that goes on just by flipping on the news. I can't help but think or, or wonder, you know, is it my fault? Is it the, is it the Christian's fault? Or is it the, average, uh, is it the lack of prayer in the life of average Christians that's allowed our country to get to the state? What I want to do tonight is just show you some stories, show you some events from the Bible real briefly here tonight that maybe can shed some light on these questions. If you're in your Bible, Genesis chapter 18, I told you to turn. 
familiar story. This is where uh, we see Abraham with his nephew Lot, and we know how the story goes. Lot has chosen to go to Sodom and Gomorrah, and that's where he chose to live and to raise his family. Abraham chose to not to go there for the, he knew the wickedness that went on and the evil and the corruption that was in that city. But Genesis 18 through uh, verse 20 is where we're going to start. Before we do, right here at this point, God is telling Abraham he's had enough of Sodom and Gomorrah. The wickedness and the immorality and all the stuff that's going on in that city is enough. It's come to the time now where he is going to destroy that city, and there's really nothing anybody can do about it. We'll pick it up in verse 20, chapter 18. Here's the Lord talking. It says, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. Notice this phrase here. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Pure adventure, there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far, far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the, and the story goes on. The passage continues. We know how it goes. And here's Abraham. He stands before the Lord. He says, God, listen, before you come down and you show your wrath and you destroy the cities, I'm asking you, I'm standing before you in prayer, and I'm intervening, and I'm asking you, please, to show your mercy. If I can find 50 righteous people in those cities, will you spare from destroying them? And here we see God, who was ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, says, all right, Abraham, 50 people, you find 50 people, I won't destroy it. The story keeps going on as Abraham goes from 50 people, uh, from 50 to 45 to 40 to 30 to 20, and all the way down to 10 righteous people. But what I take and when I read those verses and what I observe is a couple things that I want to share with you tonight. Abraham stood before the Lord, and I notice when an innocent, righteous, spirit-filled Christian steps in and takes responsibility for the sins of that city, God delays his judgment and gives those people time to repent and get right. I notice this. It's very important. I notice that God's character does not change. God's the same today, yesterday, and forever. But God does respond to the prayers and confessions of his people. I notice this. God's character, again, does not change, but he can change his mind through prayer. And that's the power of prayer. And I see that evidence in Genesis 18. Here comes God. He was ready to take out Sodom and Gomorrah. It was it. He had enough. And the Bible says, but Abraham stood before the Lord. And here we see God say, all right, Abraham, you're, you're coming to me. I'm going to, I'll delay my judgment. I'll give them a chance to get right. I'll give them a chance to find 50, 45, 40 righteous people in that city and repent. Again, it's very important to understand God cannot change. He doesn't change. But evidence in this chapter shows me that through prayer, God's mind can change. You know, many preachers will say, America's doomed, it's, it's done, it's over, and we might as well just give up, and you know, it's, it's over. Turn on the news, you see all the stuff that's going on, but where's the Christian that steps in and says, as Abraham, I'm going to pray for America. I'm going to intercede on behalf of our country. I'm going to ask God to give us one more shot at revival. I'm going to beg for his mercy. I'm going to beg that he'll do one more thing. Because God maybe has decided on the outcome of America but he sure can rechange his mind, change his mind through the prayer of a Christian. If you don't believe me, I'll show you more evidence. Turn to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Another familiar story in the Bible. 
here we find the Israelites, and man, it's just, it's, it's almost comical to read how many times throughout the Old Testament they go from serving God to, to turning on God and different things. Well, here in Exodus 32, we, we know the story. We teach it in Sunday school. God was with Moses. They come back, and they find the Israelites have built two golden calves. Totally forget about God who saved them from Egypt, who parted the Red Sea, who's provided for them and taken care of them throughout the wilderness and has always met their every need. And they come back now and find two golden calves that they're worshiping. And God is just God and had every right right there just to eliminate them because he's a just and holy God and every right to execute them and punish them for that. And that's the point where he was at in Exodus 32. He told Moses, enough, that's it. I'm going, to destroy, I'm, going to destroy these, I'm going to destroy all the Israelites. Pick it up in verse 9 of chapter 32. See it for yourself. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Notice this phrase again, And Moses besought the Lord his God. And he said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all his land that I have spoken of, of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever." Notice verse 14. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. God's furious with the disobedience. He's ready to eliminate the Israelites. He's ready to take them out. And here we find yet another man who steps in on behalf of the, of the people and their sin and says, Hold on a minute, God. Are you really going to do them? He starts to remind God and starts to pray and intercede on behalf of the Israelites. And verse 14 says, and the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Moses besought the Lord his God in verse 13. And by verse 14, through the prayer of Moses, he had changed his mind on the judgment and wrath that he was going to do. Again, I notice another innocent, righteous, spirit-filled man steps in, takes responsibility for the sins of the Israelites, and God delays his judgment and gives those people time to repent and get right. Another example in Scripture. God's character, again, I want to reiterate this and, and get this across. His character does not change. God cannot change, but his mind can change through prayer. He can delay his judgment. He can give his people another chance. It's clear in the evidence of Scripture. You know, I don't, I don't buy the fact that, that our country and everything is doomed and that we might as well give up. You know, since I was 15 years old, I've heard uh, preachers at different conferences and going through Bible college and tell you, oh, the Lord's coming back soon, this and that. And that may be, may be right, and they're probably accurate and all that. But I, I, don't, I don't settle for that. You know, I understand that we have a God in heaven who is merciful, who does want to see great things happen in the city of Danbury, who does want to bring revival again to America. But it's not going to happen by Christians just crossing their fingers, doing nothing and hoping for the best. It's going to happen with Christians who take and step in the gap and say, God, have mercy on our country. God, give us another chance at revival. God, use us. God, forgive us. It's our fault for the abortion that goes on. It's our fault how 
we've destroyed the sacred act of marriage and how we corrupted it in our country. It's our fault that the church isn't going out and reaching and churches are closing their door and God have mercy. We're interceding on behalf of our country. Give us another chance in our city. Give us another chance in our country to see revival. But the sad fact is I believe that there's too many Christians that have just given up. There's too many Christians who, who don't pray, who don't take 5, 10, 15 minutes a day to pray for their country, to intercede to God on the behalf of everything that's going on. You say, well, Zach, you know, me praying, one person praying, that doesn't make a, that doesn't make a big difference. One person going to God and praying and interceding on behalf of our country or our city or whatever the case may be, your family, whatever the case is, that, 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 doesn't, make it, that doesn't make a difference. I'm going to prove you wrong if you turn... To Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel chapter 22. Another familiar passage. Here we find Ezekiel, or God, is speaking on the sin and disobedience of Jerusalem. Early on in the chapter, Ezekiel, in fact, he names two sins early on in the chapter that have brought, so to say, the wrath of God on Jerusalem. This point in history, Jerusalem was turning away from God. They were filled with sin. And he names specifically two sins. If, if you read it, he talks about the shedding of innocent blood. And he talks about the worship of false gods. And man, how much does that sound like our country today with abortion and uh, worship of false gods where we have time for everything else in our life but God. But I want to read verse 29 through 31 in a familiar passage again, but we'll read it. The Bible says, The people of the land, and here's God speaking, have used oppression and exercised robbery, and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way I have uh, recompensed on their heads, saith the Lord God. God comes and he, and he says, I was looking for somebody to, to step, and step in the gap for Israel. I notice a lot of times I heard this verse preached my whole life. And I'll talk about uh, at a youth conference or on a night bus or whatever the case is. A man who will stand in the gap. A dynamic and a speaker who can be a pastor and who can build a big building, build a church and, and gather people together and run buses and do something big for God and can be this big dynamic talent that God can use. And maybe that is the case. But I want you to notice here that God would have spared Jerusalem for one righteous man. He said, I looked for a man. One righteous man. Not a, not a preacher, not a dynamic speaker. Not a multi-talented person who can do all these great things and all these great gifts he could offer God. He said, I looked for one man who would stand in the gap. God would have spared Jerusalem for one righteous person who was seeking his face for them. One. That could be anyone in this room tonight. That could be from the youngest to the teenager in this room tonight, to an adult, to anybody. One righteous person would, God would have spared Jerusalem. If he found, you see, the Lord is seeking men and women who will take their stand for the moral law of God. Stand in the gap at the wall and confront the enemy with God's help. 
The Lord is looking for intercessors who will cry out to God for mercy and for return of holiness. But oftentimes in my life and in most Christians' life, God looks down and he sees Christians who have time for everything else except intercessory prayer. Everything else in our life we have time for. We make time for everything else, but a time to stop and to ask God for mercy on behalf of our country, on behalf of our city. You know, I notice that God will allow you to stand on behalf of your city and your country. These men were bold that we read, eh? Moses and Abraham. They were bold because they knew they were praying on behalf of millions of people. And we have that same power today as Christians. We have the same power to stand on behalf of a country and a city for millions and thousands of people. See, the world is filled today with cities, and you can look through history, cities and countries that have been destroyed by the wrath of God or whatever the case is, whatever the argument you want to make, because nobody prayed for it. Because there was nobody there to, to step in and say, God, have mercy. God, use us. God, give us another chance. You can look at cities in the Bible. You can look at cities and countries in history who were destroyed because there was not one righteous person there. When a city gets to a place where not even a child has a chance to get to know God or grow up in God, God just says, you know, for an example of personal holiness, that's it. That's it. I'm done. I'm, I'm destroying it. And, man, as I look for, towards the future, and I think about the future, 23 years old, and I think about what God would use me and Catherine to do down the road. I think about what God would use this church to do. I think about the revival that God can bring in, in Danbury. And I'm not content with God looking down at Danbury and looking down on our country and saying, I can't find one person. I can't find one person who takes 10, 15, 20 minutes a day, whatever the case is, to say, God, have mercy on our country. God, give us another chance at revival. God, use our church to reach the 80,000-plus people in Danbury. God, use us to start a revival in the Northeast. God, use us to start a revival in a country to start churches and to reach people and to see people saved and to see people baptized and to see one, two, three, four buses coming in with hundreds of people. God, use us to do something great. But it's going to take one Christian, at least, to come and to beg God for his mercy and to beg God to spare us and to spare our country and our city. See, again, God's character doesn't change, but he can change his mind through prayer. I want to leave you tonight with a few challenges, a few things that I would just throw out there. I told you that I would challenge just from reading this and gathering it to myself, a few challenges for everybody tonight. Number one, strive to live a holy and clean life. Say, what does that even have to do with prayer? What does that have to do with what, we were, what we're talking about tonight? It has everything to do with it. Abraham and Moses were righteous. They've messed up in their life, and we see the sins they did, but for the most part, they were righteous, innocent men who loved the Lord. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in church and then have the boldness to stand before a holy God and say, have mercy on our country. You need to strive. We can't be perfect by no means, but we can strive to live a holy, pure life that's pleasing to the Lord so that we can stay, we can, boldly, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and say, God, please have mercy. I'm trying to do my best. I'm trying to live my life. I, I want to please you, but God, have mercy on our country. Give us another chance. I challenge you tonight, strive to live a clean and holy life. Number two, I challenge you to take time every single day to pray for our city of Danbury and to pray for our country. Take five, 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it is, the car ride to work, and take time to pray for our country. Take time to pray for our city. You see, your children that are here tonight, they're my future children, the younger generation, my generation are counting on that. If there's not going to be some Christians who decide, you know what, 
one person can make the difference. I'm going to be that person. I'm going to come to God on behalf of our country. I'm going to come to God on behalf of our city. I'm going to strive to live a holy and pure life. And I'm going to ask God for his mercy and to give us another chance at revival, to give us another chance at repentance so that he can use us in a great way. Take the time. Again, I say I don't buy the fact that we're doomed and that we should just give up. I've been hearing that my, my whole life from certain preachers, and maybe they don't even mean to say it the way they do, but every time they do, there's something in me. And I talk about, with my friends at school who I worked with or I lived on the same dorm floor with, and you know, we talk about that. And we would meet some nights on, at, uh, at college, and we would pray and say, you know what? They, they're just throwing our, our generation. Well, we're doomed. It's over. Not even thinking about what our generation, what God could use us to do. And there's something in my heart, something in my soul that says God can use us. God can use our church to do something in our city and our country. Strive to live a clean and holy life. Take time every day to pray for our city and for our country. Number three, understand this. Very, very simple. But understand this tonight, that prayer works. It's not a game. It's not a farce. It's not a tradition. It's not just religion. Prayer works. See, we saw from the Bible tonight. In those three events right there, that God is just looking for someone who's praying. You know, I wrote this down in my Bible after reading all this and, and studying it. I wrote this down, that prayer can make the difference between judgment and revival. Prayer can make the difference between God coming down and saying, that's it, I'm done with America, I'm done with Danbury. Or it can be, there's a Christian. There's a Christian in Northeast Baptist Church. There's a man, there's a woman, there's a teenager, there's a boy, there's a girl who's coming to me every single morning, every single day, and saying, God, have mercy on our country. God, have mercy on our city. God, use us in a great, mighty way. It can make the difference between judgment and revival. You know, we have an important election coming up this year, and we hear pastors talk about and different people talk about the importance of the election, the importance of things going on. And instead of complaining, instead of debating, instead of this and that. You know what will make the difference? Prayer. You know, our country is heading in an extremely bad direction morally, and you want to make a difference? Pray. See, our kids here tonight and the future generations, we don't know what kind of country they're going to end up in, but you want to make a difference? Pray. See, I'm not asking you tonight to join a bus route. I'm not asking you to go out and knock 150, 200 doors with me on Saturday. I'm not asking you to go sewing. I'm not asking you to empty all the money that's in your wallet for a donation for the church. It's not what I'm asking you tonight. All I am asking you and pleading with you and challenging you is to pray. Is to pray. Something every Christian, no matter how old, no matter how young, no matter where you are at physically or health-wise, no matter what the case, every Christian can do in this room tonight under the sound of my voice is pray. Every Christian can take the time, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes a day to pray for our country, to pray for our city, to intercede on behalf of the, of the stuff that goes on in our country. I challenge you tonight, Christian, pray it works. Pray for our country. Pray for mercy. Pray for revival. And I can't end tonight without showing you a verse, and I, it's a familiar verse. You all know it. You probably memorize it, but I want to show you tonight. If you turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I'll read you one verse, and after reading those first running into uh, Exodus and reading about Moses' prayer and then making the connection to Sodom and reading Ezekiel and putting it all together and just and reading on it and studying on it. We can't end everything without this verse right here. Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. The Lord speaking, and he says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, in that next phrase, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, 
and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. God knows what's going on in our country. God knows what's going to happen this election. God's in control. He's on the throne. But something that we can do instead of debate, instead of argue, instead of worry, instead of hide ourselves from the world because we don't know what's going to go on, cross our fingers for the best, something we all can do is we can pray. Not something that you've never heard before, not some deep, complex truth, but I'm here to show you tonight that God can change his mind and he can change his mind through prayer. Maybe God has decided to judge our country. Maybe we can delay the judgment through prayer and have a window where we see revival. Have a window where we see this building packed out. Have a building where we see souls saved and people baptized. Have a window where we can reach as many people as we can. But it's not going to start with anything else but through prayer. With interceding to God on behalf of our country, on behalf of our city. Just like Moses, just like Abraham, and then in Ezekiel where God looked for someone and found nobody. And he destroyed Jerusalem because he could not find anybody. You see, when we intercede for a nation... We cover it with the blood of Christ. We are providing a covering of mercy and creating yet another opportunity for God's will to be done in that place. Again, I can't emphasize tonight enough. Pray. Pray for our country. When you wake up tomorrow morning, write it in your Bible. Pray for our country. Pray for our future. Pray for our church. Pray for our city. Pray that God can do something great. Ask him for his mercy. Take responsibility for the things that are going on in our country. It said, oh, I don't do that. I don't, I, that's not my fault. That's not my fault that goes on. Take responsibility. And God, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't pray like I should. Maybe it's a lack of prayer that's allowed all this evil and corruption to take, on, take place in our country. And God, I want to change that. I'm asking you to give our country another chance. Forgive us. Use us to do something great. I don't know how the Lord may have spoken to you tonight. And again, I told you I would not be long at all. I just want to share something that God put on my heart and share a truth with you. I ask everyone to bow their head and close their eyes. Have Pastor come and he'll close us out tonight. And again, whatever God spoke in your heart, I ask you to do business with God as Pastor comes.